when you go out to seek funding, you have to make a case, you have to tell a story. I think a lot of people have looked to technology for ways to help tell the story authentically, but at scale, how can we keep it personalized and meaningful, but at the same time, not put all the burden of telling the same story a thousand times. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is part of a very special series called The People Behind The Products. There is no sponsorship or industry money behind the production of this series, and the editorial content is at the sole discretion of the What The Fundraising team. But I wanted to give you a sense of the great people, ideas, and products that power the nonprofit sector. So let's dive in to meet today's guest. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Philip Dang. Philip, welcome to What The Fundraising. Thank you so much. It's really fun to be here with you. I'm so excited for our conversation. And let's just start with you sharing a little bit about you, what brings you to our conversation, and then we'll dive in. Well, the name of the podcast, and then uh, I think also just I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I've been a fundraiser or a nonprofit professional for about 15 years. I've done work all over the world in that sector. And then these days, I run a generative AI grant writing software company. Um, So definitely tied into fundraising and helping those kinds of teams to be more efficient. And tell me a little bit about like your orientation to how you think about the role that technology and AI plays in increasing the capacity of the sector or like what, what role does it play in sort of helping us realize the goals, both in our individual organizations, but also just as a collective ecosystem? Definitely. Well, for those of us who have spent a lot of time doing purpose-driven work, I think one of the core elements there is when you go out to seek funding, you have to make a case. You have to tell a story to an individual donor or to a foundation, any Anyone who's funding your work isn't just buying a good or a service. They're really supporting a cause. So there's a really heavy storytelling Mm -hmm. element there. And storytelling is really important. But when you have to do it at scale, it it can become Mm -hmm. so much work. So I think a lot of people have looked at technology or looked, uh, looked to technology for ways to help tell the story authentically But at scale, how can we keep it personalized and meaningful, but at the same time, not put all the burden of telling the same story a thousand times Mm. on these little teams? And so that was something I experienced when I was a nonprofit founder and executive director and a a grants Mm. professional. After a while, it really started to wear me down when the story or the mission that I was so passionate about you know, the hundredth or two hundredth time that it's coming out of my mouth, I'm kind of like really digging deep for inspiration. Mm. And so just how do we save some of that energy to be directed at the work itself? So I think that's 
a lot of where I'm coming from with this and how technology mm-hmm. fits in. Would you say that you were always technology fluent? Like, were you somebody even in your nonprofit roles that was eager to find technology solutions to the challenges that you have? And I'll say that before I put you on the spot with that question, I'll just say that I definitely wasn't. And so it's interesting now becoming more familiar with the technology landscape, with the AI landscape that supports the nonprofit sector. I just remember when I was in-house in those roles, the technology side of things really overwhelmed me. And it was hard for me, I think, because so much of my role was so human, like was so in the human interaction that I like had a real hard time thinking about how technology could like support my humanness. I'll go back pretty far. When I was a kid, I was a total builder. So Mm. if you talk to my folks back then, I was the cardboard boxes, tape, I would disassemble my toys, especially remote controlled toys, so that I could use the movements to create like robots Mm. or machines. So I think I'm really a builder and engineer at heart. But my path sort of took me sideways a little bit and I wound up in nonprofit work. So I look at that now as sort of a blessing because I think it's given me a passion to combine with maybe a a more natural inclination or skill set. So I wasn't technology focused. I I wouldn't have called myself tech fluent, but I always looked at situations and thought about how I could build or systematize to do things a little bit, not even more easily necessarily, but definitely to save energy and at the same time, increasing quality. So I think a theme throughout my entire career is wherever I wind up, whatever job I'm in, I've been a chef, I've been a bartender, a waiter, a teacher. I'm always trying to do the the work, especially repetitive work. I'm trying to do it really, really well and figure out systems and protocols for doing that. So I think that's translated to technology, which is very, uh, should be pretty systematic and learning how to use it uh, or when not to use it even. Um, So that's, I think, how I have come to technology and philanthropic work. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. And I wish I had that kind of like builder side in me, although I feel like I'm the more curious I get about technology and the more open I get and the more I deal with my own overwhelm around what feels like the black box sometimes, the more I I feel like I am able to learn and, and see what's really possible there. But that that just that state of the unknown when you feel so disconnected from that world, I know for nonprofit leaders can be really overwhelming. I'm curious, I want you to tell us a little bit more about Grantable. And I'm curious, Grantable to me seems like one of the ways that even in the midst of my overwhelm, I would have been eager to adopt AI that could have helped me with grant applications. Um, And so can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you feel like even people's adoption of the technology helps them think creatively about different ways to optimize their work? Yeah, if I can just pick up on that sense of overwhelm, I don't want to let that go either. I, I think that's part of building. There's a lot of any sort of creative process that is really the the tough part of the hike and you just have to to go through it and so i 
it's not all easy for me. I spend a lot of time confused, overwhelmed, making mistakes and backtracking. Mm. So I just want to say that that's <laughs> that's something that I think I feel very in community with folks about. And again, I, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without my, my partner, who's my co-founder, who is a software engineer. So it really is a, a balance in terms of navigating how much to take on at any given time. As far as Grantable, the way that we're trying to help make it accessible, especially when there's so much change happening in technology today, it's really building on habits that I think most grant seekers have developed naturally. So mm. in all the organizations that I've worked with, and and you know probably at this point, thousands of grant professionals I've interacted with you're more or less putting the same information into different applications over and over again. So people mm. develop their language bank or a boilerplate document or a spreadsheet that has all their key phrases. Everybody's trying to create these efficiencies. And mm. then from proposal to proposal, we're kind of manually copying and pasting in the bits that we need. And mm. the as, as efficient as that is, it still takes so much time to maintain those lists, to go searching for all your stuff. So mm. all we did was to look at what large language models like GPT can do, which is they can recombine parts really, really quickly and really well. And what we've done is created this platform where you can upload an, a previous grant proposal you've written and then work on a new proposal. And when you come to a question that you would normally work on writing the answer, you can actually have the AI take parts from your previous work and then answer the question for you. So it'll draft mm -hmm. it. You can select which sources you want it to use. You can let it select the sources. And you can give it instructions as well to limit character length or character counts. Um, you can change the tone. Um, and then once you've drafted it, you can just edit it like a normal document. And you can also bring the AI back to help you revise different sections to maybe lengthen or shorten or modify however you, however you want. So it really is the same process, but we've applied the technology to the points where grant professionals have told us, I hate doing this, or I spend so much time doing that. And so we're really not trying to create a totally new system that people have mm. to learn from scratch. But it's like, can we get at those pain points and just add just enough technology, just enough assistance right where you need it, and then let you get back to the part that really requires human oversight? Mm. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I mean, and I, I feel like, I mean, when I first saw chat GPT, I was like, before I even knew about Grantable and, and what you were up to, I was like, oh my gosh, the number one thing I would use this for is word count and yeah. like the tiny little boxes that the hours I would spend trying to fit into 250 words. I mean, I can't even <laughs> tell you. <laughs> what do you find like is people, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about the technology and sort of talking about the back and forth between the nonprofit leader and, and the technology, I had this moment where I, I really felt like, wow, that feels like a partner in a lot of ways, like asking it to 
give you feedback on things or sort of deciding how it weighs in. I don't know. There was this real like relational element to that, that I feel like usually when we think about technology, and maybe this is one of the ways that AI is shifting how we actually relate to technology that I feel like is really changing, that it almost feels like this type of technology gives you a partner in figuring this out, not just an automation or a or a code. I don't even know how to really describe it. What do you think about that? I think it's definitely a step towards a partner. I, I would always probably hold a human partner that's in it with you equally as the ideal. And I think some of these generative AI or or AI tools are a step closer from kind of the software that we've been used to for the last few decades. Mm. It's definitely more capable of handling complexity. It's more capable of generating a wide range of outputs. It's definitely able to help you think more effectively than mm. some of the other tools that we've had. But one of one of the the parts where it falls short still is that it really is a long way from having the context that you and your teammates have about the real world, about the work. There's so much nuance. Um, you know, you could just say um, a particular funder uh, who's a mm-hmm. real person that maybe you you or the the team knows. You know all the dynamics about mm. that person's personality, their recent history with you. Mm. And I think that we will get more and more data points and these technologies will become better faster and faster. But it we're really still not at the point where they're equal partners, I would say. So I think for a lot of the work where we've maybe felt on our mm. own, we do now have this really cool, maybe a mirror or a something that can like lift you up so that you can see your work at different Mm. levels, like the 30,000 foot view. It can help you get past some writer's block, all that. But I still think that there's a, a, a slippery slope. I wrote about it in my blog this week where the, the art that I think we are all going to develop with these softwares is to actually sense when we're leaving the the part of the project where the where the AI is is helpful and where you're kind of going past that point where mm. you really should take over. So I think mastery is really going to be about learning when that point is that mm. we need to take the reins again. That's what I think is going to be a major element, whether you're talking about making music or graphics or video mm. or text. Mm. I think if you go too far with the AI, it can actually create too much stuff that is actually more trouble to fix than it, you know, Mm. so we have to learn to go at the right speed, we have to learn which parts of our work, we can delegate, and then which parts really, I think just require kind of the old fashioned, you know, creative process. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. And it it sort of is sitting on the cusp of two two things I've been wondering about a lot related to AI, which is, so I talk a lot about helping fundraisers overcome resistance and overwhelm, you know, deal with their overwhelm. And Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the things that often plays a big role in that is perfectionism. 
And, you know, perfectionism is like a self-preservation tool. It's like when our nervous system is in overdrive and activated, we go into perfectionism to essentially protect ourselves from any vulnerability that would lead to criticism or whatever, because we're feeling so kind of tender. And I've been really curious about the role that AI is going to play in perfectionism (laughs) and like wondering, is it going to... Is it going to make us more like strive for that perfectionism even more in certain ways? Like I was having this conversation with my husband where I said, you know, he was saying, you know, AI is going to make it possible for small nonprofits to produce creative that they could have never afforded to produce, you know, historically to, to story tell and show sort of simulations of their program. And, and so much of what we're seeing in the AI world is around like the presentation of things. But then does that, how does that impact? This is a really complicated question. You might be like, Mallory, this is like, no, this is great. (laughs) But like, you know, then how does that impact sort of like how we view ourselves or the standard we're holding ourselves to? Like, if we have AI producing these sort of more perfect versions of how we present our organizations, what does that do to like us? I'm curious what you think about that. Well, first, you're giving me this whole new uh, (laughs) topic area that I'm going to try to create blog posts from. And maybe we can work on some of those together. (laughs) Where my thoughts went just now was to go to other commodities that we have mechanized or industrialized the production Mm. of. So take food, for example. I'm always struck in the grocery store by the produce that a lot of American grocery stores have, which is like, have you you seen strawberries like in other countries? They're like, Mm -hmm. they're the size of blueberries Mm -hmm. here. And the ones we have are huge. They're, they, they look really attractive, but I've found sometimes they don't taste very flavorful. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wonder if The same phenomenon will happen where we've made it much easier to get to a point of perceived perfection, but the, Mm. the investment to get there was very small. So many, many people can reach that point very easily. So everybody starts to look like that. Then I think there's a new frontier where if the people that do put the extra effort in to figure out what is the new kind of artistry that Mm. humans working with AI can create, I think there will be a new way that that we differentiate. And so I think maybe it's like, you know, when you do encounter a a real wild strawberry again, it's now instead of being looked at as small or or sort of not that attractive it's this like really special thing so maybe organic content will be mm. come something that um is really really valued and that people get to focus more on and again i think it's probably going to be that certain things uh maybe websites mm. and just general front of front of the house stuff will be ai produced but then you know, parts of your your organization that you really want to be the most authentic, the most compelling uh, content you create, that maybe should still be in the, you know, the realm of where you're focusing your creative energies. So I think there's actually a new space that 
is going to open up and people that weren't able to express their creativity before are now going to have that outlet. So I, I, I actually, I hope it doesn't mm. flatten things. Um, I think it'll, it'll change everything for sure, but I think humans will still find a way to innovate and be creative. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Like you're right. Like I love that you use that fruit analogy because I feel like, yes, like, and there is this whole watery fruit phenomenon, right? But then we also go to farmer's markets Mm -hmm. and we go to um, specialty grocery stores to actually get the small strawberries because we've sort of, and so that, that same evolution might ultimately happen with the use of some of these tools that there will be this, I mean, everyone's been talking about just the increase of content because of all of these things. And then, but that content that you can really feel is, uniquely human and uniquely creative starts to be the thing that people seek out. I think there's my, my blog post this week was about, I don't know where I encountered this statistic, but I have two dogs and I encountered the statistic that dogs are 99.9% genetically identical to wolves. And I just think that that's really interesting that 0.01% of a difference results in such a dramatic difference between those two animals, you know, between Mm. wolves and dogs. And what it made me think about was content and that I think there's something similar that happens where if you find the right elements in a piece of content to change, it can have a profoundly different expression. And I Mm. think that AIs are probably good at getting ever closer to that 99.9%. But I think it's Mm. that that last bit that that AI can't really account for that sort of final feeling Mm. that you get when it's a human being. So I think it's really, it's such a tiny bit of, of difference. But when people really get their hands on a piece of content and make it and shape it, it's not about needing to do the whole thing yourself. It really is some little element, some, the most impactful, these precise little parts that really give a thing its feel. So I think when you combine new generative AI tools and really skillful human input at those those precise places, mm. I think it's still going to to be very, very different, like in terms of like what the outputs can end up mm. being. So there's some kind of almost like a natural law there where mm. where the input at the right time changes everything. I love that. Okay, I could talk to you forever, um, <laughs> but I but I know we're out of time. Tell everyone where they can go to find you, connect with you, read your blog. I love your blog. I'm learning so much. Um, and then learn more about Grantable, of course, as well. Absolutely. So uh, Grantable is grantable.co, Grant able.co and my blog is philip deng um so philip with one l d e n g dot substack.com amazing thank you so much for this conversation um and for your time and just all the work and all the lifting of the sector that you're doing i'm so grateful thanks for having me, mallory anytime
Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this special episode of the people behind the products for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources. Now you'll also find more information there about our amazing guest. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of the people behind the products. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.